As I was coming down, I did have some impression uh, to open our time by sharing something for about 15 minutes. I'm pretty sure that's a reasonable estimate. Then I would hope that the remaining time would be used for fellowship prompted by you. What would you like fellowship about? You know, do you have a question about something to which we could respond without answering? And so I would hope that most of the time would be for that. <clears throat> now, every once in a while, more or less for fun, I'd like to use the word lugubrious. <laughs> Just the sound of it, lugubrious. And it means to be serious and solemn to an extreme, an unreasonable extreme. So the background for the two verses I will read, and then I'll read a couple other verses, is not as lugubrious as it might sound. But I have very good fellowship with my, my daughter. She's 46 years old. And she has been through many things in her pursuit of the Lord. And I have suffered with her. And so we have very sweet uh, brother, dad, sister, daughter, fellowship. So in one sweet, non-lugubrious exchange, I said, Becky, you know, if I'm not raptured, if I'm just not here long enough, then I would like the following verses on my tombstone. Okay. Because more and more, they express um, what I live for and how I live. At least the aspiration. The Lord will decide to what extent it's a fact. Song of Songs 7. So as soon as I mention the chapter, you know where we are. Verses 11 and 12. And... It's not the beloved who is speaking. It is his love, his counterpart. Come, my beloved. Let us go forth into the fields. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us rise up early for the vineyards. Let us see, oops, yeah, come back. The timing on this limits my scripture reading. Let us rise up early for the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, if the blossom is open, if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. There. The love has been developing for quite a period of time. 
We know from chapter 6, the seeker has become the Shulamite, the reproduction of Solomon. So there is a deep oneness between the two. Now she's qualified to enter into the work of the Lord, and she takes the lead. This, this shows the depths of oneness. You may think, oh, but there's proper headship in married life. The wife would never dare initiate something. Well, you're a little too legal. If there's a deep oneness, her initiating something is actually the expression of what is already in her beloved. Come, let's go out. Let's go into the fields. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us rise up early for the vineyards. Let us see if the vine is blossoming. If the pomegranates are in bloom. I don't know, have you ever seen a blooming pomegranate? Maybe if you do a Google search for blooming pomegranate, you'll see what it looks like. There I will give you my love. And the point is, the inseparability of love and serving. The inseparability. That the love is forming, the love is leading to the maturity of life and building. But there's a particular, and it's deep, aspect of love that is given to the Lord in the midst of our serving. There, I will give you my love. And it was after the crystallization study of Song of Songs by a few years when I was about to go to Russia in the, I think in the winter. I would say a Russian winter more than matches a Bostonian winter. And I just enjoy these verses. Lord, I'm going to go lodge there I doubt if I'll see any pomegranates blooming in January in Moscow, but I'm going there, and when I'm there, I will love you in the midst of my serving. There is one reason and one that we serve. There is one motive for our serving. It's not that there's a great need. We're not governed by need. It's not even that we have a burden, although that is crucial. It is simply that we love the Lord. There I will give you my love. Now, I, I, I know I'm, this is delicate, but married brothers know that wives not only want to be loved, they want, inwardly, they're sometimes saying, well, prove it, demonstrate it, manifest it, display it. Well, the Lord doesn't come across like that. But when we see the link between loving the Lord and serving, we see that our love for him needs concrete expression. 
very solid manifestation. And there was a local church in the New Testament that lost sight of this. And there was a separation of love and work. And that separation of love and work was the beginning of the degradation of the church that culminated in the apostate Catholic Church. Okay, Revelation 2. Verse 2, beginning, I know your works and your labor and your endurance and that you cannot bear evil men and have tried those who called themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. And you have endurance and have borne all things because of my name and have not grown weary. What a commendation. You've endured, you've suffered, You've been true to my name. Your discernment is sharp. But I have one thing against you, that you have left your first love. And the Greek word translated left, it's not like you just drifted away. It's really like you got carried away. You were swept away. You went away. But then why doesn't he say, repent and return to the first love? Wouldn't you expect that? You have left your first love. Remember therefore from, remember therefore where you have fallen from and repent, okay? Well, we have fallen from the first love. Then if we repent, Shouldn't we then return to the first love? And everything would be so sweet. Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for being distracted. I'm sorry for being consumed by the work. I repent for caring more for the work than for you. For even loving the work. For even, you know, getting a little... Uh, a little bit like Noah, inebriated, inebriated over the success of the work. Now I'm coming back to you, Lord, I love you with the first love. But he doesn't say that. He says, repent and do. Repent and do the first works. So what are the first works? Let's, we may have, some impression. We have had some speaking about this, not that much. The first works are those concrete actions of service that are motivated by the first love and that manifest or express the first love. That's Song of Songs 7, 11, and 12. Come, my beloved, my beloved. This is 
still in the divine romance. But now the Shulamite, she knows in her beloved, is a longing for there to be a work for the building up of the body of Christ, a universal work. And she senses in the beloved a longing for someone to match him in the work without being distracted by the work. And she has some assurance. She doesn't say, let us rise up early for the villages. Let us see if the vine has budded, etc. There I might give you my love, or there I'll try to give you my love, or there I hope I'll give you my love, or when we're there I'll pray. There's some assurance. There, there, right while I'm doing it, I will give you my love. Well, if I were the beloved, I would be quite ready to get up early. Well, what kind of request is this? You can imagine if, if I got a text or an email from my wife and she says, my beloved, uh, hasten back on Monday. You know, I'm, I'm preparing this. I want you to see what I've been doing uh, in the house and come and let us take care of this together. There, I will give you my love. I'll be counting the hours to when is my return flight. There, she's going to give me her love. Wow, this is irresistible. This needs to govern our service. Okay, I'm not exaggerating. Forever. Why do you say forever? Isn't that rather dramatic or exaggerated? No, I never exaggerated, and that's not an exaggeration. Are we not going to be serving? Are we not going to be serving in the kingdom? Yet, we'll have just gotten married, and it's our wedding day, a long one, thousand years, and we will be co-kings, and we will have quite a big responsibility but it's motivated by love. You read Revelation 22, now we're the new Jerusalem. Every redeemed, regenerated, and now transformed, matured, and perfected believer is the son of God in the new Jerusalem. And we will serve him day and night in this temple. We will serve him for eternity. We will serve him as priests, and we will reign over the nations so we're going to be full-time forever. And we'll never get tired, we'll never get weary, we'll never be distracted because the whole thing is a big there. I will give you my love. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm just imagining here. So Brother A, he, he appears before the Lord. The Lord says, well done. I'm... I'm giving you a big portion of Siberia for the kingdom. Don't worry, the temperature has changed. <laughs> and you just say, Amen, Lord. I'll go to Vladivostok. And when I get there, I'm going to love you. There I will give you my love. Amen. And so 
It's good to be reminded again and again, and this may come up Thursday morning in a certain context, which I will not mention, to be reminded again and again, the heart of it all is a divine romance. As soon as there is a separation between loving the Lord and work, we're fallen. The Lord said, Remember where you have fallen from. There is, now you're full time with, with co-workers, the risk is much greater. Now you're entering into a blending with brothers bearing the weight of responsibility for the whole recovery in the body. And recently I made a concern known in love about just an outstanding brother who has entered into the work not that long ago. And I shared with those who care for him and who can shepherd him, I am worried about this brother, that he is being devoured by the work, devoured by it, by the activity, by the practicality, by so many things then one brother <clears throat> had shepherded him because the initial symptom of his being devoured was his wife's distress and the depths of her discouragement. Is this what being a full-time worker entails? for the spouse. But you never sense that from Sister Lee. You never sense that from many of the wives of the co-workers. Because the brothers themselves maintain this. Now Brother Lee did not directly and immediately write that song that Lord, I love you, I really love you. But he spoke those words. And this is at the very end of his life. And what a work he did in China, Taiwan, and the U.S. for the whole earth. I don't think you can find anything like it in church history anywhere. You have to go to the apostles. But there was never a separation of love and work so he could end not oh lord the work how will the work go on he could let go he could let go handed on to a group of being blended co-workers and then pray lord i love you i really love you without you life's really nothing so I think this is, you know, more than 15. That was a rough guess, but we still got 36, 37. I'm pressing the pause button, uh, not the delete button. I think I have my buttons clear. Is there anything you would like fellowship about? Is there anything you would like to ask? If I have something meaningful to say in response, I'll say it if I don't know, I won't pretend that I know. I'll just tell you.
I don't know either. Hope that doesn't disillusion you. But we are God in life and nature, but not in the Godhead with omniscience. Okay. All right. I'm just here now. That's fine. Um, well, so as full-time workers, we're on campus, you know, having appointments with students, caring for them, but we're not there to proselytize them. But it almost feels like because we're there as the club, I just don't know where the church life and the club meets. Like, how do we... I, I feel like within myself, I have the improper motive of wanting to gain them for the church. Okay, wanting to gain them is no problem. We should want to gain them. <clears throat> Wouldn't we want every believer to return to the ground of oneness? So, this wanting is wonderful. That's what's in our heart for them. If they would ever ask us what... I don't think they would ask such a direct question, but just... We've been enjoying together. What would you like to see happen to me? Okay, I would like to see you under the heavenly vision join us in the church life in the Lord's recovery to carry out God's economy. And so don't beat up on yourself and think you're proselytizing because in your heart you want them to join us. Want is a desire. So, but, but we don't <clears throat> translate the want into deliberate actions to work this out. Especially when we are with believers. Now this applies, this limitation of not proselytizing applies only to those who are already believers and have some kind of affiliation. It does not apply to those we bring to the Lord. They're our own children, and that restriction does not obtain here. So I hope, at least inwardly, you can be at rest knowing that I'm not violating the principle, I'm not being impure because I want this one to see what we see and to be in what we're in, and to leave where she is, which is the fold, and come to the pasture and be in the flock. But we recognize only the good shepherd can do that with his sheep. If we try to do it, then we're laboring in a way that is contrary to the principle of brotherly emphatically set down. Don't make the church an issue. And there's a difference <clears throat> between sharing something about the church life and making the church an issue. The fact that you share something doesn't mean it's an issue. But we're not hiding what we are, who we are, what we believe, how we meet, where we meet. It's open. And we are not going to uh, hide the truth in the New Testament concerning the church and the body of Christ. 
So it's not a matter of whether you talk about it or don't talk about it. We're sharing the truth in light and in love and life because it's pertinent to our fellowship or we're now, we're going through Romans. We're, <clears throat> we're in Romans 16. There are churches there. And how are the churches there related to the body of Christ in chapter 12? And the God of peace is going to cross Satan shortly under your feet. Whose feet? And so, to present matters concerning the truth in that, con uh, the church in that context, that doesn't mean you're proselytizing. It means, okay, it's when you're doing something deliberately to convince someone that where they are is wrong and that they should re come to the church life on the ground of oneness. That's proselytizing. And we don't go there. Okay? Now, if you've already gone there and made a mistake, then I say, welcome to the club of mistake makers. Okay? <laughs> you're not making history. You're just repeating history. So many of us in our early enthusiasm of finding the Lord's recovery and the church life wanted all those whom we love and care about to see the same thing. And maybe there are a few exceptions. Our collective testimony is it didn't work very well. So, now, just a little sidebar. I mentioned the word mistake. About your learning. I'm not asking you to talk about your actual experiences, just in general. Do you learn more from your successes or from your mistakes? I'll say myself for sure, uh, from mistakes and failures. That doesn't mean, you know, you get up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, I really want to learn deep lessons. <laughs> Cause me to fail today. <laughs> We don't have to pray about it. The, certain things happen effortlessly, and that's in that category. So if you made a mistake, don't accept the enemy's accusation of you. Silence him by the blood of the Lamb. Don't condemn yourself. Let the law of the Spirit of life release you from the law of sin and death. And just learn the way the rest of us have been learning. But... <clears throat> My full expectation, expectation not as a demand, but as a promise, is you will learn and advance much faster than my generation. So, just be free to learn by doing. See? Any other question? I hope so. We've got 28 minutes. I'm not going to keep referring to the time, but <laughs> I, I just did. We've had some fellowship recently uh, concerning the matter of fruit bearing. And, you know, uh, I think we're aware that we have to bear fruit. Um, we're branches in vine. If we don't bear fruit, we're cut off. Uh, but we've been talking about fellowshipping about what is remaining fruit is remaining fruit someone who comes into the church line is remaining fruit um, 
you know, someone who gets saved on the gospel and then comes into the church life, I think that would be yes, and they, they remain. But uh, I guess we're just laboring and we're imparting truth into ones and we're seeing them light up, but we long for them to be remaining fruit. Uh, I, I think it kind of connects a little bit to the previous question, but I don't know. Maybe remaining, I'm sure it takes a long time to get remaining fruit, yeah. but. Well, what's your, what is your present understanding, or at least what is in your heart? When you think of remaining, what is in your heart? I feel like uh, my understanding of remaining fruit based upon passing through the training, getting into the ministry, uh, often it's ones who come in under this vision uh, and, and come into the churches. Uh, and uh, that... Yeah, that's true. Then I would suggest we work with this operational definition. I don't know if we have in the ministry a kind of definitive uh, explanation of this. Remaining fruit is A, B, C. But I've always had the same impression, Whitney, right, Whitney? That it's fruit that will continue to pursue the Lord and join us in pursuing the Lord in the church life and be faithful to the end. We know if someone is saved, they're going to be saved eternally, so they're already remaining in that sense. So if this is our aspiration and this is our functional understanding, then we should just work with it. Now, how does a vine bear remaining fruit? You have to use the word how, but I refer again to the book How to Meet, a big book. You read the whole thing. It doesn't tell you how to meet, but it's called How to Meet. But there are organic elements, factors, and principles that when you apply them, you know how to meet. Well, um, I would say the crucial matter is to realize that bearing lasting fruit is a vine matter, not a branch matter. And to say it's a vine matter means it is a body matter. Of course, the vine is bearing branches, uh, bearing fruit, lasting fruit, remaining fruit through the branches, and the branches, plural, are bearing this fruit. But they're doing it in the vine, okay? Then, if bearing remaining fruit is a vine matter, then you look into John 15 from this point of view. And you'll see certain things that are indicative of our experience in the vine. In one verse, maybe around 12 or 13, the Lord says, My joy will be in you, and your joy will be made full. So there is a particular kind of joy in the vine, the Lord's joy, actually. And his joy in that the Father is being glorified by what we're doing. Then even more, 
He talks about my love will be in you, abide in my love. And if you look at the notes, or at least the life study, uh, one aspect of abiding in his love is the love we enjoy in this commission, in verse 16. But there is um, another matter, that's in verse 7, I would like to present. Because this is very much related, how the vine bears remaining fruit. If a branch is desperate to bear remaining fruit, fears being judged for not bearing remaining fruit, that will just lead to more frustration. The branch needs to realize this is a vine matter. We branches do it corporately in the vine. And I love to fellowship on this verse. If you abide in me, okay, same as verses 4 and 5. But he doesn't say, and I abide in you. He says, if my words abide in you. And then he goes on to say, ask whatever you want, whatever you wish, whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. So some may read this verse and say, okay, I want a yacht. And so I get someone to agree with me because you want a private jet and I want a yacht. And so we will just agree with one another. Let us misapply Matthew 18. We are in harmony. I pray for your jet. You pray for my... This is ridiculous. But there is a realm of prayer here that we're just beginning to touch. Okay, we abide in the Lord by being in the mingled spirit. And we're in the spirit of the body. And the Lord's words abide in us. And the Lord's words make known his will, his intention, his desire, what he wants, what he wants. <coughs> then, then we ask whatever we will. But between his words abiding in us and our asking whatever we will is a very deep and sweet transaction. And that is, in this kind of abiding, what the Lord wants penetrates us and it becomes what we want. What the Lord wills saturates us and becomes what we will. Okay, now a little footnote but a little brief one. Genuine prayer always springs from a desire. We pray because not only we need, we desire something. So now what the Lord desires, what he wants, what he wills, has become what we want, desire, and will through the word which is abiding in us. So now we pray what we want. Now I hope we don't get lost in the words. When we pray what we want, we are praying what God wants. And God gets what he wants by answering our prayer for what we want, which is the expression of what he wants. 
We need to touch this kind of prayer together. And one prerequisite is that when we come to pray, we're not filled with our own concepts, our own goals, whatever. I remember in Irving in the early days of the Goddardane Way, and some of us were learning to go door knocking, and we had a team that was going out, and when we were praying, then one brother, he just boldly, I would say rationally prayed, Lord, we pray for six baptisms tonight. And we, the rest of us were frozen because we couldn't echo that. We didn't have the faith to match that. How? And so we abide in the Lord. His words abide in us. We're freed from our subjectivity. And don't ask me for a method. There is no method. Somehow we get a sense of what the Lord wants. What the Lord wants on Harvard, on MIT, at Wellesley, at BU, at Boston College, at Northeastern, whatever. There's some kind of sense. And with that sense is the prayer. We are, we are, Lord, this is what we are asking you to do. And Lord, in particular... Your word, we can, let's just begin with something the Lord himself made evident. He made evident much fruit. That's his own word. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go forth and bear much fruit. And that your fruit should remain. Then he repeats it. What you ask of the Father in my name, I will do it. So we don't have to kind of get too mystical right now. Let's just begin with what's in the verse. Much fruit. Lord, what do you mean by much? Much fruit. What would the Father consider much fruit? Lord, we ask you through the vine to bear much fruit. We ask you for remaining fruit. Then you pray campus by campus. Then you pray for some of the contacts. Lord, cause this one to be part of the much fruit, the remaining fruit. Um, this is at the very heart of it. If we are just we're motivated by the word to bear much fruit and remaining fruit, <clears throat> and then there's not much remaining, and then we're frustrated and we're afraid and the enemy attacks us and goes, yeah, yeah, look at you, no good. You're not bearing any remaining fruit. It was so good in the beginning. Now it's not remaining. But we needed to, you know, to shut his mouth and to enter into a realm to see it's a vine matter. It's a body matter through the branches. And then a further matter is that there is unhindered fellowship among the branches in the vine continuously. Continuously. And that fellowship is the flowing of the divine life in the vine and the branches with its all-sufficient, all-inclusive supply. 
And it makes a very big difference if you are with three fellow branches at BU. If your consciousness is, as you are having this Bible study, or you are talking to these new ones, that the entire vine, with all of its spiritual wealth, is now available to you and is flowing to you, through you, and out from you at any given moment. This is part of what it means to say it's a vine matter. I believe the Lord's view is that the bearing of much fruit does not mean certain branches are heroic, they're outstanding, they're super branches, and others are not that. Rather, all are in this fellowship, which equals the fellowship of the body. The vine equals the body. A vine matter is a body matter. The flow of life in the vine is the flow of life in the body. That flow of life is the reality of the body. You want to be in that when you are working. The Lord said, I appointed you that you should go forth. There's activity here. We're not just sitting, being spiritual. We are going forth. But what a realization. Okay, look at Philip. What kind of impact did he have in Samaria? There is no sign that he was an evangelist when he's distributing food, when he's waiting on tables. But after that persecution began, and most were forced to leave, he's in Samaria, incredible impact. And you may think, wow, it's because he's some giant gospel preacher. But the fact that Jerusalem heard, the apostles heard about the Samaritans, and Peter and John came to lay hands on them indicates Philip was in the vine. He was not doing an independent work. And he was absolutely released, more and more beside himself. So you, know, you can check the progress. Then the Lord sends him out of town. He joins himself to the Ethiopian eunuch, announces the gospel to him, baptizes him. Then he's raptured. Now he has a spirit of rapture. And then he lands somewhere as soon as he lands. He keeps on going. It's not because he's a super person. Okay, he is an evangelist. He's a Dick Taylor, Dick Taylor and a Howard Higashi combined. He is an evangelist. But being an evangelist doesn't mean he's a super branch. He is in the vine. And so that impact is not the impact of one powerful, gifted person in and of itself. That's the vine. And he has the consciousness of the vine. That is why he doesn't try to do everything. He doesn't try to be everything. He recognizes, I was a serving one. You could call me a deacon there. I distributed food. Now I'm burdened for the gospel. I'm not an apostle. I don't have that position in God's administration. I have a spontaneous sense of what my limits are, what my portion is. I'm not going to, I'm not building up anything for myself here in Samaria. And how Jerusalem knew, I don't know. 
You know, if he had a Blackberry or a smartphone, he would say, brothers, please come to Samaria as soon as possible. The Samaritans are believing in significant numbers and they're being baptized. And demons are being cast out and people are being healed. And there's joy in the whole city. Um, I, I need your covering. I need you to come in and take it from here. So they come in and take it from there and then he goes. Then he's raptured. Then you meet him later in Acts. He's still with us. His four daughters are prophesying. So that, that is a rather full answer to Whitney's question. That we need to get into the intrinsic significance and depths of John 15. And it's, when we touch that, I'm convinced the much fruit will come and the remaining fruit will come. Hmm? I have no idea. <laughs> We're just on the cusp, on the edge of this. Because we enter into another dimension when we come to know the body. And this is one reason why the Lord burdened us in the last elders training to speak on entering into the fourth stage of the experience of life, to arrive at a full-grown man for the fulfillment of God's purpose. And so we greatly need the Lord to normalize and thereby accelerate our growth in life because this is a vine matter, it's a body matter. If we don't know the vine or the body, we can't work it out yet. But that doesn't mean we should sit here. We should do what we can until we can do something else. We should be where we are until we're somewhere else. But there can be the aspiration in us. We want to be in the reality of this vine, which is the reality of the body. We want to live and serve in the divine and human incorporation. We want to live a life of coherence together with love and joy and peace and fellowship and prevailing prayer all the time. And we want to touch what it means that whatever we ask in your name, you do. Well, just make this real now. It's been in the Bible for 2,000 years. Make this real to us. Gives you a new view of things. Because you're in the nitty-gritty every day and you're immersed in it. Sometimes we need to step back a little and just go to a high mountain and see the holy city, Jerusalem, and then have a new Jerusalem perspective on our particular situation. Makes a big difference. Anything else? I think in, in, the, matter, in the matter of our uh, related to fruit bearing and our contact with students, um, we've come across various kinds of young people at various stages, and some they just respond very well right away. And seemingly, they're so hungry and just feed them and they're making progress. Maybe they start coming to the meetings. But then, inexplicably almost, there is either a halt uh, or just a kind of a step back. Or in one case, even just a total 180 change of heart. Um, and I think for, I mean, 
speak for myself, uh, having experienced that, it's a little, it's a little, kind of like bewildered. You don't know how to, how to reconcile it or how to deal with it even, because you've kind of gotten connected with them. You're kind of close to them. It feels like a friend is kind of turning your back on you, I guess. But anyway, um, without, without, I don't want to get discouraged when these kind of things happen. I think. Is it maybe a matter of just being a certain, just serving on the campus of this will happen and we'll need to develop this thicker skin to an extent or, or just realize this is part of the battle that we're fighting for on the campuses? Okay, let's just, for now, let's assume that the change of heart is not due to poisoning from opposers. And while you're sharing this, I just think of the parable we all know. When the Lord went forth, he sowed. But his view was, not every seed is going to bring a return. But that didn't hinder him from sowing bountifully. <clears throat> and in addition to shepherding in particular, and one-on-one -on -one uh, appointments and things. And what form this will take, I don't know. We should just sow bountifully. In a sense, just wasting the seed. Maybe it's the literature work or gospel tracts or whatever it is. But what happens, <clears throat> just like the parable said, right away, some, wow, this is wonderful. I've been looking for this my whole life. Right away, they spring up. No moisture, no depth, no root. Certain little hardship comes, they drop away. But I believe the real battle is with the thorns. The, so many things in the human heart, the desire for other things, the deceitfulness of riches, the infatuation with their own future, that part of them cares for God, God's interests. There's so many, so many thorns in the heart that choke the word. But then there's those with an honest and a good heart. And maybe the Lord will focus our prayer. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone. And we will sow bountifully <clears throat> and we will serve anyone who is open and responds. But we are praying now specifically for those whose heart is the good ground. Give us some. Preserve some whose heart is the good ground. We know from the very first kind of soil, the rocky soil, the hard soil, that the enemy will come and steal the word. So I would think the Lord is quite realistic. He said, I'm sowing this seed. I know it's going to happen. Some it will never penetrate. The evil spirit will come and take it away. Others, because they're shallow, and there's no room for the word to go down in them, they're going to be very excited and very responsive. Um... They may be, sorry to say this, rather typical, shallow American young people. 
and they're huge rocks in their being occupying them. And so they peter out almost as, whatever it means to peter out, but you know, that, they, that they're gone almost as quick as they came. Then others, they last longer. But something is motivating to be at MIT and Harvard and all of these places. Something is put into them. They really have aspirations for themselves. In many cases, they're being driven by others like parents' aspirations. And the thorns are abounding. And they choke the word. I don't see this as four groups of 25%. I don't think we should think mathematically. But if this is the case, then why not pray specifically? We are praying that the word will reach a heart that is the good ground. A faithful and true heart and honest heart. Lord, give us some like this. And I believe this will match the remaining fruit. Because somehow they have been prepared by the Lord like Lydia in Philippi. Paul went to a place he thought would be a place of prayer by the river. He and his co-workers are preaching the gospel. Lydia is listening. The Lord opened her heart. We need to pray for this specifically. Lord, open hearts. We need to pray to bind the God of this age, which veils the minds, which hardens the hearts. We need to realize that our work is intrinsically an inward work that depends upon the word of life entering into a person, regenerating her spirit, and then spreading out into her heart so she's willing to do the Lord's will and to live in the church life and join the Lord like the rest of us. And the enemy, part of his strategy, <clears throat> can be to send us a lot of people that, that will never last, to wear us out, to bring us into despair. And we don't know who is who, and we shouldn't try to figure out who is who. Whoever comes, we take care of initially. But we need to be exercised. Lord, show us what kind of person we're dealing with, where we should concentrate. And we're asking you, give us those with a noble heart. That somehow you have preserved for yourself those with an open heart. Bring them to us. Amen. Don't you think, you think when you pray like this, to think the Lord will say, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> this is taking his own word. Right. We're not asking for a huge increase. We're asking for a significant number whose heart is the good soil. And the word will go deep in their being, it will spread in their being, and they will give themselves and their whole life to the Lord. They'll seek the Lord with you in the church life. Go to FTTA, come back, go to FTTAXB, go to Europe, defeat the enemy, bring the Lord back. <laughs> I admit that's being a little dramatic, but there's a place for that. <laughs> okay, I think we're done for time. Can we pray a little bit to round this up? There's a number of short prayers from many of you.